Hi, I'm Stacey Schmicker-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Every other week, we sit down with the stars of the design world to learn about their journey, where they are now, how they got here, and what they've learned along the way. Together, we'll get inspired, hear behind the stories from some of the world's most notable hospitality projects, hear the ups and downs of creating a business, and dive headfirst into all things design. From architects and designers to hoteliers and entrepreneurs, and all the multifaceted talents in between, join me to meet the passionate people who make up this industry. Everything happened organically, but we always had ambition. You know, we always wanted to do more. We always pushed ourselves. We always were, you know, quick to jump on a plane if there was a meeting or a deal that we thought would, you know, open up a new door and sort of take would let allow us to take what we were doing to like a, a bigger stage. So there was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of ambition and sort of there was a desire to always grow and kind of do bigger, better projects. Your guests expect comfort. Your guests expect function and design. You need furniture customized to the unique needs of your space. American Leather Hospitality designs optimized sleep and seating solutions for every hospitality setting. Combining an engineer's efficiency with a craftsman's care, American Leather has made its mark as an industry leader, setting the bar on lead times and quality for more than 30 years. American Leather's signature product, the Comfort Sleeper, is the hospitality industry's gold standard for sleeper sofas. Supported by a solid wood base with no uncomfortable bars or springs, this is a sleeper sofa guests will want to sleep on. The Comfort Sleeper features a lifetime warranty, all customized to your unique configuration. In addition to sleeper sofas, American Leather Hospitality offers a variety of fabric and leather furniture for every level of hotel, resort, and cruise ship. Learn more at AmericanLeatherHospitality.com. Hi, I'm here with Noah and Jason. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you guys? Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. All right. So we always start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Jason, I'll start with you. Grew up in Manhattan, 39th and Park. Uh, some summers in the Hamptons and uh, started working in hospitality very early at 16 at a uh, ice cream shop in West Hampton Beach. I do a scoop an hourly. So that was my start into this amazing world of hospitality. I love it. And Noah, you grew up in Manhattan as well, right? Yeah, first in Brooklyn, then I moved to Manhattan uh, in elementary school and uh, grew up in Rest. I really grew up in Greenwich Village. I mean, that's where I lived as a child until I went to college in University of Miami. And uh, Jason and I met at the end of high school. We were both uh, in in the nightclub business. We were promoters. We were throwing parties uh, for collegiates. And uh, the rest is history, 30, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I love that. We should do something for our thirty-year anniversary. No, we've been really that's a that's a pinnacle in time, amount of time together. Sure. Well, especially since you're business partners and friends, you don't see that long of a run all the time. Yeah, very very unique, and hardest thing in life is to find a good partner. So we're lucky. So, how did you guys start promoting? Was that just out of need in high school or want? For me, I, I was uh, opportunistic. Even then, I had a few relationships with people in the bar and club business through my older brother who had a band. So I was able to find venues to do parties for students. You know, I went to Stuyvesant and we had an annual play called Sing. 
So my entree to the business was actually putting together a cast party. And Jason has a, a similar but different story. I'll let him tell you about his. Yeah, yeah, my, it's similar, but it was based around sports. I was a captain of uh, Riverdale football and had to throw the homecoming party instead of throwing it at somebody's house where some neighbor or mother would uh, call it in to the cops. We um, figured a way to go to a bar that would allow uh, college kids to come in. And from that, it opened up a lot of doors that I could gather people. And I, actually, my first time doing it was the night I met Noah ironically. And uh, we started doing prom parties and collegiate parties. And soon older people in the industry just found out about us that we could wrangle people and be Pied Pipers. And so so the the promoting world started for us. Awesome. And then you both went to college, but you went to different colleges, right? Yeah. Boston University for me and Miami for no Miami University. And did you would you come back together at, at summers and still promote? What was tell us a little bit about yeah, instead of, having, instead of instead of going on a family trip during Christmas break or getting a summer internship uh, on Wall Street like all of our friends were, we would uh, we would rent nightclubs, work at nightclubs, bartend at nightclubs, and uh, basically our summer job, our Christmas break, and and fall breaks were all about that. And later on, when our senior year came around, we were doing uh, you know. Um, spring break trip packages. So the nightlife world kind of bled into other ways of us making money by getting people together. And what did you love about it? Why do you think you were drawn to it? All through college, Jason and I would actually communicate by fax back then. On yeah. No shit. No shit. Gold papers. papers, I think. By <laughs> groups. Uh, at one point, we started sharing papers we were both taking the same business classes and we we both i think we both did our final uh project was a business plan a senior year on on opening a nightclub and uh, you know we we just uh, you know we were entrepreneurs even you know in college you know we as jay said we 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 always um got together during the, the breaks and figured out ways to throw parties make money put our, you know, bring our crowd together, bring our social circles together. And that was, you know, really the foundation for what we have today, you know, started back then 30 years ago. And here we are, you know, three, uh, three decades and a couple, couple generations later, still doing it just on a much bigger scale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait, if you were communicating through facts, how did you get people to the parties? Like, was that just calling people? All all calls, sitting at home, making phone calls using a plastic Rolodex, our family's phone, call waiting. Uh, I, at one point, uh, we, we moved into flyers where we would give flyers out. We would meet up late night at, at Kinko's and the, the printers on 20th Street in what's now Flatiron. It used to be the printing district of New York City. And and that was, you know, the old school way of, of, of promoting was really hand to hand and actually making phone calls. And that's how we got started, you know, and the really in the, the roots of it. And, and and in college, we would get creative. We'd all just unique and interesting flyers. I remember at Boston University, I made a flyer look like a parking ticket and you just flyer every car at the, you know, at the cafeteria and just, you know, just doing stuff like that to, uh, get notoriety and it would always be Jason and Noah present. So in the early days before we had brands like Tao and and stuff like this, we really put ourselves out there and we were sort of a brand of collegiate promoters. Love it. All right. So you graduate. What's next to do? Marquee didn't happen for a couple of years, right? 
Right after college, Jason and I literally moved home to New York City within days of graduating, uh, took an office, rented a space from a friend's uh, mom who had a bigger office space than she needed, hired some of our friends to come in and work, answer phones, make phone calls, immediately contracted with a handful of nightclubs and started our promoting business um, then in 1997, um, it started in the, in the dorm room, moved into the off-campus apartment and right after college into a small little office on 21st street. And, um, you know, we were, well, we, plus went, we had our studio apartments where we had people working in our studio apartments because we didn't have enough phone lines at the back of this office that was just like the back closet. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. But would get on our guest list by leaving messages on our answering machines. And back then, you'd have to wait for the beep. And we always knew how well our clubs were going to do by the length of the beep that people would have to wait. Because we knew how we'd have a lot of messages for that night. <laughs> <laughs> were you like counting them? You're like, please. Um, okay, so from there, what made you decide to go in, you know, create a brick and mortar of your own and create marquee in 2003. Okay. Well, I mean, I think before that, you know, we were, we were nightclub promoters for many years. We had opened, we had opened up a nightclub in the Hamptons before that. And that was really our first entree into ownership. We had partnered with another uh, operator that had been in the nightclub business in the Hamptons. And it was the first time Noah and I had, you know, put in money, invested, helped build a place, market a place, put our name on a lease, put our name on a partnership contract, got a liquor license. And that was really our end entree into it. And uh, I think the first year we uh, we broke even and the second year we were on to uh, a lot of success. But then we had a major incident that happened there, but we could leave that off to the side. Um, but that was our our entry into it was really conscious point. And then we started dabbling into other sort of business worlds like liquor marketing and, and brand sponsorship and brand promotion and working at stuff, uh, working at events like the Bridgehampton Polo. And we um, we started dabbling in all sorts of forms of marketing and really seasoned our our knowledge and ways to like communicate with the corporate world as well as to sort of bring this club culture to a corporate world and, and and unite them in a marriage. And we started really getting good at that before we really started doing the, the brands that you know of like Marquee. We also had a, a, a couple small restaurant and lounge partnerships, um, you know, in the early 2000s that, that, that sort of helped us hone our skills um, before we, we built Marquee. We, you know, we built the original Marquee, uh, it'll be 20 years um, in December. I'm planning a big 20th anniversary. You know it, the reunion. Um, um, but we started that project even even before that. It took us a while to to secure the lease and build a space from scratch. That's when we met Mark Packer and a lot of the people that we are still working with today. And uh, that really was what you know sort of catapulted us into the real sort of um, main event of hospitality. That club really was, you know, and still is to this day, one of the most prolific venues, you know, of all time. And uh, from there, it just, you know, it, you know, one thing led to the next and we connected with Mark and Rich and the Tao in Las Vegas. And from there, we just continued to, to build our portfolio. And, you know, now we're, now we're going back 20 years, not 30 years. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, that's where, you know, Tau Group really started, you know, was, you know, really on the 
on the heels of of Tal Las Vegas and Marquis New York's success right. um, years ago. And what were you hoping to create with Marquis? Well, I, I think I think when we took that, we were we had a really good knowledge of where the market was going. We had been promoters. We had owned smaller places. We had traveled the world and, and really were studying this. And we even knew the the energy was going to the um, the whole nightlife world was going to the outer Chelsea neighborhood. And when we found this parking lot garage, parking garage, um, which is now Marquee, we really already knew what we were doing. We, we had a vision, which we were going to, you know, introduce a really high-end bottle service, scene-driven nightclub that was going to cater to mine and Noah's database that we had been collecting and curating and forming and forging for so long. Um, and we uh, we scraped the money together hand to mouth and, and and got the place opened and it's been like Noah said twenty years of of an amazing story. Yeah. Another really interesting part about the original marquee sort of concept it was really um, probably the first club you know to open that played um, house music and hip hop right we had one room that was a dance room with with you know more at the time it was more like sort of music i don't know if we would call it house but it was you know um all dj but but dance music and then we had a room that had more of the hip-hop and r&b and i think you know kind of you know looking back now like that was really you know i think a, a, a real pivot you know there hadn't really been a club in new york that kind of catered to you know both sort of audiences and um you know i think you know it it, it was definitely ahead of its time and as you can see now from our vast portfolio of venues, you know, we we were able to really kind of um, use that, right? And 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 those are our two specialties, right? We have great venues that play dance music. We have great venues that play open format and hip hop and R and B. And it really, you know, started back then. And 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 um, it was also the one of the first venues to to bring everything in house. You know, we we worked. You know, we had. We, we hired everyone as a full-time employee, our host, even the promoters were working for us and not nowhere else. And we really built like a team, you know, a family that everybody was, you know, all in at Marquee. We were open five nights a week. Then we went to six at 1.7 nights. And we really were able to give our team members like a full career. And then when we opened Tau, you know, in Vegas, it was sort of like the natural evolution to go from having, you know, just a nightclub to having a nightclub and a restaurant all in the same building. And um, we're really the first people to take that business model from New York to Las Vegas, from just having, uh, you know, separate restaurants and separate clubs to actually bringing them together into the same building. And that's why I believe Las Vegas, when it opened uh, almost 18 years ago now, was, was so successful. It was really the first to marriage the the restaurant and nightclub one-stop shop in Las Vegas and do it well. If, if, even if someone had tried it before, it wasn't done at that level and with that sophistication and that kind of level of detail and, and thought. Yeah. And what do you think? I mean, it's hard to keep a restaurant or nightclub open for, you know, 10 years, let alone almost, you know, two decades. What do you think has been some of your secrets to success to both Tao Las Vegas and Marquee? Um, I think the family like the atmosphere, you know, with the team members, you know, creating um, that kind of culture. You know, we have numerous people that have been with us at both venues since opening. And I think that continuity 
Um, I think the focus on just creating this great venue, right, with a lot of options and a great product and then continually reinvesting in it over the years, always putting money back in, you know, really keeping the place looking nice, always replacing things, you know, not because they're broken, but because, you know, there's a better technology or better product out there. And, you know, I think that the marriage of great work culture, great, you know, workplace culture and attention to detail and great service and great product, that's what creates longevity and sort of, um, you know, what makes a place iconic, you know, and makes it transgenerational. So, you know, people will, will go there and go there and then never get sick of going there. And I would add to that, Noah's right, institutionally and, and, and service-wise and decor-wise, Noah nails it. But I think we also did a really good job when Noah and I got a little older to not think that we knew it all. And we tapped our, you know, we, we just had a, either luck or the ability to have a culture where we really embraced the younger generation giving us feedback on how to program the venue, how to market the venue, how to use different relationships uh, that are coming up to program different sort of events, either before or after on off nights, just to keep the brand relevant. And through that, I think we've been able to keep current and and have the staying power that we've had. Yeah, especially with the evolution of DJs and music and you know partnerships and celebs. TikTok, I mean, or, you know, like anything, yeah. any anything that's thrown at us, we gotta. The, the the nightlife market is so ever changing. If we're not on the cusp of change, we we can become you know a dinosaur quickly. So I think we do a good job of staying relevant like that, and we fight we fight for that. Uh, we really have open communications and focus groups and push the marketing guys to always think relative, you know, think on relative terms and keep us in the loop on what's going on. And hopefully your Rolodex is now digitalized, not, <laughs> not the old one. Um, so you mentioned Mark Packer and Rich Wolf from Tao. So did you guys meet while you're making, while you're building Marquee or did you meet them elsewhere? And then how did that partnership expand from Vegas and, you know, from there on mark we met uh when we were um still promoters you know we met him through mutual friends and uh and then um we met mark and rich when they opened tau they were they were the owners and founders of the original tau and they brought us in um shortly after to to do events there so we became an event company that they contracted with their first new year's eve party at tau midtown that was our first event with them. And we, uh, we brought them into Marquee as partners. And there we decided to go to Vegas together and do Tao as partners. And that's where Tao Group started. It was really when we combined, you know, the Marquee and Tao business, uh, the Marquee nightclub uh, business that we started and the Tao restaurant business they started to create Tao Las Vegas, which was this nightclub and, and restaurant combined. And um, Mark and Rich continue to be our mentors, really great friends, board members, co-founders, and, you know, guys that we, you know, we really learned a lot, a lot from, and that we, you know, we, we really look up to for being, you know, true pioneers, especially in the restaurant part of our business. For those that don't know, you went from New York and Las Vegas, and then you expanded with more Tao locations, Lava, Beauty and Essex, Highlight Room, um, from New York to LA, Vegas, Chicago. So a lot of growth, <laughs> a couple in, you know, in that time. Was it more organic or was there a, a plan behind it? You know, I know sometimes things just kind of like the right deal comes, the right opportunity. Was it always a vision to, you know, go by coastal, go to different cities, or was that just more of an organic growth? 
I think it was always, you know, a little bit of both, you know, okay. it, everything happened organically, but we always had ambition. You know, we always wanted to do more. We always pushed ourselves. We always were, you know, quick to jump on a plane. If there was a meeting or a deal that we thought would, you know, open up a new door and sort of take, we would let, allow us to take what we were doing to like a, a bigger stage. So there was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of ambition and sort of there was a desire to always grow and kind of do bigger, better projects. But the actual growth, the actual deals, they all did happen organically. Yeah. And where you kind of reinvented the idea of a restaurant and nightclub in one one space, you've also helped redefine what nightlife in a hotel could be or, you know, F&B in an entire hotel. So you did that with Dream New York and Dream LA, um, for sure, where you had multiple venues where guests really never had to leave if they didn't want to. Can you talk a little bit about that strategy and how that has led to your success? I mean, I think, you know, when we went to Vegas, we really learned how to work within these buildings and be part of, um, you know, just an overall integrated property offering. And as but, you know, nightlife started hitting places like Vegas. I think the rest of the the world started paying attention that they could be a real driver and it could lift the, the, the nightlife could raise all boats per se. Because if you had a great nightlife and a great energetic food and beverage program, the room rates would explode and the desire uh, and, and the desire for guests to be in the in the in the hotel outside of just uh, the nightlife and being in the lobby and being in other forms really, you know, came alive. And once they saw what we did in Las Vegas, I think we really became one of the premier companies that these developers would come to to say, hey, program all the food and beverage. We want the sizzle. We want the energy. We want all the notoriety that you guys have done for everyone else. And that, of course, led to partnerships like we have with Lightstone and the Moxie Hotels in New York, where we really had four venues ground up that we programmed all of the F&B, nightlife, roof decks, bars, lounges, um, speakeasies. And because of the success of that, the hotel and us together have just had a really impact on the overall property. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's just amazing too, how you guys organize and, you know, almost orchestrate the flow, right? So, you know, like even outside of like Vegas and getting into Tao and like the lines and how you get there and marquee and, also, you know, in the hotels, like it, it's all like a dance. <laughs> I love how you guys like it, it's a skill. It's a, it's definitely a skill set. Like I, I, I could tell you that regular brick and mortar or standalone operators would have a lot of learnings when they come to a integrated property resort, like a dream or like these casinos, it's a different way of communicating. It's a different way of operating whole new operating system needs to be put in. So we got that skill set early and we just did more and more of it. And there's obviously an advantageous situation to be in a property with so many rooms that can fuel, you know, uh, immediate guests for your venues and and obviously then attract people from outside, of course. So what were some of the biggest learning curves during that like growth spurt? Like you talk a little bit about, you know, figuring out how to work in these different buildings, but, you know, going from two venues to then, you know, having New York and LA and Chicago, was it just being able to scale properly? Was it, you know, figuring out, you know, what was needed for, um, to handle all these different locations? What were some of the learning curves? I would say, um, <clears throat> you know, there was many, um, <laughs> one thing we've learned is, you know, just 
you need to make sure you have great partners, right? That you're that you're aligned with the people that you're working with, um, and that you guys have the same vision as far as what the product's going to be, what the experience is going to be. Another uh, real lesson I think that that we learned was, you know, to not go out there and just sign deals and then like figure out like who's going to run them. You know, we always like to identify people like within our organization that we feel are ready to grow and that are capable of running, you know, projects or venues and then go find projects for them to run. You know, it's, it's different. You know, we're, we're, we've never been about just signing projects and planting flags. We've really always focused on developing our people and then finding great projects for them to go run. And the last thing I would say is, you know, when it comes to design of venues, you know, I think we really learned very early on and stuck with that, that, you know, you need to kind of, you need to design your venues inside out. We like to say, you know, from, you need to design the heart of the house, the back of the house first to make sure that you functionality, facility and the functionality that you need to then do the, the sales and then figure out how many seats and how much, how, how much space you have after it's very hard. And we've seen a lot of people make this mistake to, you know, design the dining room and figure out how many seats you need and how big the bar has to be. And then like what you have left for back of house, it really has to be the other way around. And that's a real fundamental thing that we learned when it comes to venue design and layout. It's, it's easy. It's easy to lead with the cosmetics because it's fun and sexy but to lead with form and functionality is really the way to do it. And then whatever is left is what you have for cosmetic. And then you have the best, then you have an operating place that can do, that can be timeless. Right. And right. speak, speaking of your design, I mean, you've always been known for dramatic spaces and, you know, um, really beautiful, you know, really investing into creating these beautiful experiences. How involved are you guys in the details and um, what do you think makes for a successful design? So Jason and I do a lot of the layout work with our team, but really our um, our senior VP of development and design, Susan Negraha, and Derek Silberstein and their team do a lot of the design work and they work with our design partners like Rockwell Group and like Joyce Wang and um, you know, the other groups that we work with, focus lighting, cell lighting, you know, all the audio groups, you know, so Jay and I like to give a lot of uh, feedback on the on the layouts, and we do stay involved with the design and the selections. But we really trust our team to do the real design and to develop the concepts along with our our design firm partners. And I would add to that, yeah, no, Noah said it right. But this team has worked with us for a long time, so they know our eye, they know our aesthetic. Noah and I are still signing off on on big ticket items, but they're doing the legwork and just presenting items as they go. And, and it's a long history with each other. I will say there are passion projects that Noah and I have dipped our toe in a little bit stronger than that. Like there's one or two venues that we really have a passion for. We'll, we'll be more involved, but generally our team is, is doing the heavy lift. I also always uh, like to say we, we don't design things for our taste. Like we, and I think that's where people tend to get caught up. You know, we really try and design things that we think other people will like. Right. And our team really knows how to bring that to life. And often, you know, they need to be the referee between us and our personal, you know, taste and what, you know, will actually translate, not just to people, but also 
you know, physically, right, in in the form of, of materials and materiality, and and um, you know, we're 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 good at what we do, but we're also really aware and of what we're not good at, and try and find people who are better than us and surround ourselves with those people. So, I will sense. say that we we've caught ourselves many times on designs saying this is too trend driven or this is just too much in the moment, whether it's a light fixture or a fabric or a pattern or a way a chair has now been popping up in five different venues. And we spent a lot of time trying to think timelessly in the design instead of trend driven because we know that we need to be there for 20 years when we sign a lease. Right. More about longevity. How do you constantly come up with new concepts, though? Um, I mean, is that more, I guess the question too is how do you know when to use a brand that you have and reinvent it for the area or when is it time to come up with something completely new? A function of the deal, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, the deal just calls for an existing brand or an existing concept. And sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't work for various reasons, whether it's partnership, whether it's location, whether it's the market, you know, um, in some markets, we have so many places that our only option is to create new brands. Um, so we like doing both. You know, we really, we feel that, you know, when you do um, multiple versions of a brand, they tend to get better every time you do them, right? Actually, because our model is never to even with the same brand, we don't make, we never do the same exact place. You know, we have an 80-20 rule even with like a Tao there where there's six or a Lava where there's five or Beauty and Essex where there's four, you know, we, none of them are the same. You know, we like to use 80% the same and 20% new for each one. And that, that reflects even the menu because we don't want to ever feel like a chain. We want them to have individual sensibilities, whether it be to the marketplace or as Noah said, just a different design element to give that 80-20 effect. Well, and speaking of new venues, um, you just recently opened the Moxie Lower East Side, um, or five venues in the Moxie Lower East Side. Um, and they seem to be kind of smaller, more intimate, scaled. Um, was that, can you talk a little bit about that property and what you wanted to create there? Um, so we have a, a, a partnership with Lightstone Group, who are a major developer of hotels. And um, years ago, we set, we set on to this you know, uh, road to develop four different moxies that they were developing in lower Manhattan. So, um, you know, we started with moxie times square where we have legacy and magic hour and bar moxie. We moved down to moxie Chelsea, where we have the floor room, Roche, bar for Roche. We then moved to moxie East village where we have with already cathedral, little sister alphabet bar, and then uh, we moved to the Lower East Side, so that's the latest and um, the last of the of the of the four you know hotel deal with Lightstone. So we had many years of experience and and with other moxies to sort of figure out and and, and I think perfect it, which we really did with Lower East Side. Um, and ultimately, the idea from the beginning was for each one, because they all had the Moxie flag on them, to have very unique F&B offerings and public space offerings, not only unique to each other, but unique to the areas where they were. So with the Lower East Side, we really wanted to design something that felt very downtown, you know, edgy, but also um, very New York, since that area is so distinctively New York. So, you know, we brought a, uh, you know, con some concepts that we had from other markets, and we also created some new ones. So 
uh, Lucy's, which is our sort of subterranean, you know, nightclub. Uh, we created with a, uh, in partnership with Dylan Hells and Ronnie Flynn, two guys that have a couple of really cool places in that area, like the flower shop. Um, Silver Lining is a live music venue that we created also with them. Um, both feel very unique, but also very appropriate to that neighborhood. And then we, we wanted to bring the highlight room, which is one of our very successful rooftop concepts from Los Angeles, from Hollywood to New York. And that just had the perfect space because of the way the rooftop sits, you know, with a highlight, you know, it's the highlight of the property. It's got these sweeping skyline views. And then we also brought a, a Japanese concept called Sake no Hana to the building, which, um, uh, does, while it did exist previously in a totally different form and, um, country in the uk it, it we recreated the brand we kept the ip and did something really special with that and what was cool about lower east side was we got to work with a bunch of different firms uh we work with the rockwell group we work with a firm out of the uk called michaelis boyd uh we brought in a new sound vendor for the first time a guy named nicholas matar who has a, a boutique you know very high end dance club you know uh, AV company. And then we got to work with a lot of our re regular guys, you know, people that we've done many projects with, like uh, Advanced with Angelo and uh, Focus, of course, who does a lot of our lighting work. So it was a very fun project, very unique to the neighborhood. Um, and then we, we also have The Fix, which is the uh, the hub. It's the center of the hotel. It's the main uh, public space for hotel guests. So there's a bar, there's a grab-and-go sort of bakery slash coffee place where you can also have a breakfast or lunch sandwich. And there's, you know, there's a few small rooms that are adjacent to the fix. So there's five outlets all in the same hotel. It was a ground-up building. Um, we worked a lot of, we worked on it. Uh, the first project we actually fully designed on Zoom we did it during the early, early shows of the pandemic. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and it was also the first project that we opened in New York City, you know, post-pandemic. And uh, it's been about three months. It's doing great. People love it. Um, you know, all of them are, are unique, but they all kind of work together to create this one-stop shop experience. Once you get down to the corner of Broom and Bowery, you really have so many options without leaving. Yeah, no, it's it's so... It's wonderful. Um, I just got a tour of it. So it was super cool. Um, the question with Moxie, what was the, you, you know, when you, when Mitch approached you, Mitch Hotchberg, the owner, um, or when you decided to do this deal, what was interesting for you to do four hotels in New York? I mean, it's a lot of different venues. I mean, a lot of growth for you all. What, what was, and what was it about the brand too, that you found attractive for your, your brands? No, I, re I remember the first conversations. What was super interesting, A, the, the scale to be able to do four ground up hotels and to be partners with someone with his reputation, some someone we got along with right away and knew we would get along with for a long time. But what excited me was that we were able to create our own ownable brands in, in so many restaurants and really have Lightstone and these properties be the showcases of brand new concepts that we could do, which was super exciting. He wasn't really interested in having us bring our existing brands. He wanted to create own and unique brands to to uh, all of his properties so that they would be unique. And um, just that opportunity at that scale was what got me excited. No, I don't know. We knew that Mitch was just a prolific developer, you know, an amazing track record of producing 
uh, amazing properties. Uh, he really knew how to build. He was really had a great sensibility when it came to hospitality. And we just knew, as I said earlier, you know, having a great partner, right, is one of the keys to, to, to what we, you know, to being successful. And we, we just knew from, from the start that Mitch was going to be that guy. And he gave us a real opportunity to, to basically open 15 new concepts in, uh, five and a half, six year period, all in New York City, all in unique locations, all in our backyard. You know, we grew we grew up here, right? So having the ability to do that much, you know, to have that much scale, all in our hometown, all in, you know, downtown, you know, between Broom and 36th Street, really for us was just a great opportunity and and do it with someone like Mitch, who just had decades of of experience and really knew we knew would develop that would deliver on these incredible integrated developments. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you, when you see brands that were created out of this partnership, like let's just say the floor room out of that started in, in, in New York. And now that it's now it's living in LA and thriving, it was really the vision we had to be able to create these concepts and then take them all over the world and to see it happen so quickly. It's just, it's why we did it. I can't believe you've done all this in five and a half years. Well, that's how I long mean, it's open, right? Well, but but it's probably to seven years from when we actually signed the deal and started designing, you know, the first venue to today. Uh, it's about seven years. So yeah, it was, you know, a big chunk of our career has been spent on these projects, and uh, you know, we're we're just starting. I mean, we're going to be running these projects for a very long time, and really, um, you know, feel really good. They're all really special, and they're all very different. Yeah, it must be fun to figure out names and brands and logos for each of these. It, it's fun, but it's also stressful. I mean, you know, it's hard, you know, that, that, that work, do it right. You know, especially when you're, you're operating at the level we are, right? Where you really want to have the trademarks and you want to have proper IP, proper brand guidelines. Right. It's a lot of work, you know, and it, and it takes, you know, it takes a lot of patience, you know, because sometimes, you know, things don't always sound right. Some of the things don't always work. You got to kind of reinvent. You got to stay at it. You know, not everything just, is packed when it opens. I know when you come there, you feel like, wow, these guys are great. Like everything's full, but some of these things took a lot of time to work and the pandemic hit us right in the middle, you know? So we really had, uh, you know, a real curveball that we never could have planned for. But again, having a great partner, we were able to work through it and come out the other side in an even stronger, you know, better way where our places have all thrived post pandemic and they're actually all doing better now than they were before. So, you know, God bless. We got, you know, we're lucky there. Yeah. Which is good to hear. Um, and then there's been other change, a bunch of change for you all too, with MSG taking a controlling stake in Tau Group in 2017. And then Tau, you guys bought Hawkinson Group in 2021. So you've had a few very busy years. Um, talk to me about the Hakkasan Group. What, I mean, now it makes you one of the largest FMB operators, I think, in you know, in the world with all of your different venues. What you know, I know you guys like to push yourselves, but what was it about you know merging or taking over this this portfolio um, and you know expanding globally? Well, that, that was that was an opportunity that came to us during COVID. Um, the controlling company uh, that owned Hakkasan Group at that point wanted to uh, sell the company or find a partner. And 
we, we were the obvious partner just because we have so much synergy and, and you know, essentially they were our biggest competitors, especially in, in Las Vegas. And with our management team and our existing infrastructure, we knew if we could merge the two companies, it was really a one plus one equals three right off the bat. So for, 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 for my perspective, Stacey, I feel, you know, we got very lucky, you know, timing was on, on our side, but there was also a real synergy with the management team. You know, they, they had some really great people, you know, running that business. And, you know, once we connected, we realized that, you know, with our sort of common backgrounds and both having, you know, two decades of experience running, you know, not only like high, high volume, high impact, you know, high style, like Asian restaurants, but also big nightclubs and then having diversity of, you know, other concepts throughout our portfolio, you know, that we really, you know, were able to also acquire like a really amazing group of people. You know, they had an incredible uh, team that, you know, we, we really seamlessly fit right into the Tao team and became one bigger, better team. And for us, you know, as just sort of the chief executives of that and architects of that, you know, that was really, for, really attractive. You know, we had really, uh, wanted to go into the UK market, you know, for a long time and had been, you know, close to, to signing a couple of projects prior to the Hakkasan merger. Um, and we love that there was a really great infrastructure already in place in the UK with some really great people who had been there for a while and great brands. So we were able to really almost overnight acquire an infrastructure in the UK, plus a whole other infrastructure of partners around the UAE and different parts of the world where Tao Group hadn't been yet. Um, and on the other side, you know, they hadn't, the Hakkasan Group hadn't had a large presence in New York. They didn't have any presence in Chicago. Um, LA was sort of a, you know, a mixed bag and we, we were there and we also had Singapore and Australia. So when we kind of put everything together, you know, we really did, you know, create, a um, you know, a one of a kind, you know, um, you know, one of the largest premium hospitality, pro, you know, companies with almost 80 branded locations right now. So a uh, really good project. It was exciting. I always like to say that, you know, for Jason and I, this is like a roller coaster, you know, it's up and down fast and slow, but it's always thrilling. It's always a ride. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, the, the first, uh, first 27 years of our career was, was that case and the last three with Hakkasan and the pandemic have been that, you know, plus plus. So, <laughs> And then, yeah, totally. How do you guys complement each other in business? Why do you think you two work so well together? I think our history is our backbone. The fact that we started so young, knew each other so much, experienced so much together. I think, I think both of us would be not, none of the wins would mean as much unless we had each other to share with since we were, we started in the beginning. I think that is, that's like a backbone and we are just so closely integrated. Everything from our personal lives to our family lives is, it's just a family since day one. You know, I, I think also the compliments come geographically. When I moved out to Vegas, we were able to sort of divide and conquer. And although we spend 19 to 20 calls a day and text messages and voice notes to each other, um, we really were able to divide and conquer and there's things that Noah's obviously much better at than I am. And there's things that I, I, I can compliment the business on. And, but when we separated, we had learned so much from each other by being side by side that we were able to divide and conquer. And, and it's been like that for 19 years, 18 years since I moved out West. 
18 years. And I, I, I add to that. I mean, I, I definitely think our, our, you know, our bond as family is, is sure, you know, the strongest reason we work well together, but, you know, we also, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses so well that we are able to sort of operate as one, you know, and, you know, I, Jason knows exactly what to defer to me on. I know what to defer to him on. I know what to second guess him on. He knows what to second guess me on. And when we you have delegate to each other, yeah. and when you have a partner who just, you know, understands, you know, the, uh, the ins and outs of, you know, on the other side, just makes you overall a stronger, you know, group. And, you know, we know exactly, like I know exactly the types of things to ask Jason to do and he knows exactly what to ask me to do. And we, and we also know where, where we need to support each other. And, you know, that, that type of synchronicity doesn't just come, you know, even like with practice and it only comes with time, you know, and, and, you know, you just can't, you can't, buy or 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 fake you know, 30 years of of working together and you know being with someone who you know you literally start in the exact same place and stay together the whole time yeah all right so what is jason's greatest strength noah probably his ability to just read read a room you know and then to understand you know um, you know what you know the, how to make connections with people and and and, and that's you know that's most priceless all right jason your turn what's noah's greatest he's just, an, he's just an amazing leader but he hits all facets of it he leads by example he's he, he he can hit every single facet of the business and be the smartest guy or the, the most strategic thinker in each facet of the business and everyone immediately he gets their trust immediately because they can smell it on him and they know that he uh he has the the wherewithal to lead them mm-hmm. I think we both share the authenticity card, Stacey, that, you know, you just, again, you can't buy it, right? You can't teach it. You can't train it. You know, um, when you have a partner who's just, you know, 100% as authentic as you are, you know, it's it's just a special, it's a special. No, 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 that comes also from you handing out flyers, me bartending. You know, we can talk to talk to because we were in the, we were in the trenches. I mean, just, you know, to walk the walk because the authenticity comes because of the, again, the history, because we were in the trenches. So when you, when you talk to management, when you see a room comes from, from just being there and, and, and knowing the business so well. Yeah. Looking back, did you ever think you'd end up where you are today? No, I definitely <laughs> never thought. I, I, thought I, I thought I was going to be in Vegas for three months, come home. We'd have Marquee for a few more years. And that was, that was maybe our, our our legacy, but it's it's just it's gone a totally different other journey in, in the best of ways. Yeah, is there a project you're most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to going back to Harvard Business School's campus. We go every year, um, and that that's something I'm really proud of. And then we get to speak to the students and connect with the some of the teachers and professors that we're close with, and that's. Uh, not a it's not a business deal, but it's something that we enjoy personally doing. We've done it maybe twelve or thirteen years now. We're going back. We're going to bring our boy Dave Grubman with us this time. Uh, and uh, for me, that's one of the things I look forward to the most forward to every year. And I agree with that. But I, I think you know now that we finally got a Tao Hotel, um, you know, underway. I think that's a real uh, evolution of 
of the culmination of years and years and being able to take our whole collective company brands and knowledge and, and be able to create a new experience under a hotel of the flag. So that's going to be exciting. So what you spoke about legacy, Jason, what do you think you want the legacy of Tau Group to be? You know, I think, I think, I think more so than just how many venues we have or how much money we grossed or, or how big the company was. It's really about the, 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 the people that work for the company and the lives and the livelihoods and the culture that we created. I think that's the legacy behind that. We created this amazing management team that had unbelievable culture who probably had ways that we, we changed the industry in a lot of ways by doing things a certain way and really treating it as a family and having people meet at their jobs and fall in love and, and, and create families and people met their, uh, you know, met their, um, their husbands or wives and, and created their family all under this town umbrella and how big that's gotten and how many people we touch under that. And that relates back to Tau cares and the charity work and the employee relief fund that we created during COVID and how we really spend a lot of time and energy, you know, making sure that our team members experience and their lives are, are more important than even our guests and our venues uh, experience and lives um, is, is where the legacy should probably end. That's probably you know what we should be remembered for because it's, it's 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 a lot of people in a lot of countries that we touched. Yeah, and you spend and you spend more time with the people at work than you do even with your family. So I think that um that 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 makes the that makes it even more uh, important. For sure. What has been your greatest lesson learned along the way? I I think the greatest lesson I've learned is uh, is really that you have to pick your partners wisely and, and, um, you know, just be really careful about, you know, about who you associate with and make sure that when you do, you know, when you do use, you know, go into business with someone that you, that you have the same sort of culture and the same vision and the same alignment of interests. You know, just, just, just through the years, you know, being able to, to manage, to manage and work with and for people in all sorts of different cities and the culture that comes in, in being in a different city and learning the emotional intelligence to be able to interact and pivot to be able to get the best out of them, uh, the, the most and the best out of them um, has been a big learning for me and continues to be a big learning. We're going to be doing a, a big project in a new city or even like when we go to a new city like Dubai and having to deal with uh, that's that city and that's nuances and the way people there communicate and work together. That's a constant learning for me. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Designs, What I've Learned. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.